Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Uh, George, welcome back to the show. Uh, last time we were on here, we were talking about US politics. Uh, this time we want to shift a little bit into something we've talked about quite a bit, which is inflation, but we want to talk about a specific part of inflation. Before I go into the details of today's meeting, I'd like to underscore for the American people that we understand the hardship that high inflation is causing and that we are strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. And I think the kind of question for us is, even as headline inflation begins to fall, have we done enough with monetary policy to contain those underlying, more persistent dynamics in inflation to ensure that they end up consistent with our 2% target over time? And uh, we will continue the current uh, extremely uh, accommodative expansionary monetary policy in order to achieve 2% inflation target in a so this is the 2% rule. Most central banks adopt a 2% target. So that's keeping inflation in and around uh, the 2% area. Um, it's a target which central banks are bound to and which some, for instance, like the Bank of England, they have to go and write a letter to the Treasury, uh, which is part of the UK government, to explain why they haven't hit that uh, 2% target. And I imagine there'll be quite a few letters that have been going off over the last, <laughs> certainly in the last year, maybe a little bit longer. Um, but before we get into the rights and wrongs of the 2% rule, George, I just want to get uh, your explanation as to how we came about the 2% rule. Hmm. Yeah, so... Um you know, there's a lot of academic debate, you know, about inflation targeting in the 20th century, but, you know, it wasn't really put into practice until sort of 1980s uh, when New Zealand decided it was going to be the first country in the world to adopt it. Now, uh, first, though, they had to work out what the appropriate rate was going to be. Uh, but before they could do any rigorous work, uh, we had the finance minister there. He was interviewed on TV after inflation had just dipped below 10%. And he was asked whether the government was satisfied with that new lower rate of inflation. And in an off-the-cuff remark, he said that, no, actually, he'd like to see inflation fall to you know, zero to 1%, um, which was a figure practically plucked out of thin air, essentially. So the Reserve Bank of New Zealand had no other choice but to run with that. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, after a bit of tweaking, they rounded it up to 2%. Uh, so, you know, people might think that there's some super scientific reason why, you know, 2% is so ubiquitous. But at the end of the day, it comes down to a politician said um, an off-the-cuff remark on TV. And so that's perhaps why we ought to have this debate. Is 2% uh, appropriate? You know, it might have been right over the recent decades, but going ahead, perhaps not. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website, shorters.com forward slash the investor download. If we're talking about uh, the 2% target, I mean, should we start talking about the alternatives? If we're not going to go with 2%, what else would we do? Mm-hmm. You know, there's um, historically central banks have strived for price stabilities in, in different ways. So sometimes that's been targeting exchange rates or perhaps the money supply. Uh, but few would, you know, really think that we should revert back to those because, you know, those are is- they're, they're fraught with issues of their own. But, you know, there's a few alternatives that could work. So, you know, one would be price level targeting, for instance, that would be where 
central banks are striving for an average inflation rate over a period of time. So, you know, if adopted today, for instance, policymakers would be striving for inflation close to zero over the coming years because, of course, we've had such high rates of inflation recently. Uh, that's one option. Another option might be to aim for a certain rate of economic growth. So, you know, it would entail, let's say, loosening policy if nominal GDP growth fell below a certain level, and likewise, uh, maybe making it more restrictive if it exceeds that rate. So there's there's two alternatives, I mean, but there are issues uh, of their own for both of those. And it would mean actually sacrificing a lot of the good work that's been done by inflation targeting. It's proven to be largely successful and the framework's pretty well understood by investors and consumers. So I think, to be honest, inflation targeting's here to stay. Yeah, I suppose that's the important point. The messaging, getting out there both to the markets and consumers, that's probably the most important thing about that 2% target, right? Mm. Um, so. If, for instance, they decide to, let's take the lower option now. Let's say, let's say they try to go lower because at the moment we've got high inflation. What would be the issues or the pros and cons around taking a, a lower targeted inflation? So if you go for a lower inflation target, uh, one of the issues is that you do actually need a bit of inflation to sort of grease the wheels of the economy, as it were. So if you were to have a, a lower inflation rate, over the long run, you'd expect that nominal rates would would fall lower as a consequence. Uh, and, you know, on paper, that might sound great for consumers, you know, lower rate of borrowing, perhaps uh, companies would be able to invest more easily. But at the end of the day, the, the flip side of that is that when presented with a downturn and the central bank has to step in and provide some stimulus, the risk is that they would reach what economists call the effective lower bound much more easily. They wouldn't be able to cut rates until they get into a situation where uh, cutting rates further would do more harm than good, essentially. And we saw that in, in the financial crisis in the following that. And the consequence is that they then need to revert to unconventional monetary policy tools, so the likes of quantitative easing. And they've obviously been arguably, I would say, less effective than cutting rates. And they've also come with adverse um, consequences of their own. So the in terms of lower inflation, I don't think that's necessarily something that's going to be more productive than, let's say, staying with 2%. Right. So a lower inflation target works absolutely fine when the economy is working fine. But if you get something even remotely out of the blue, where suddenly the central banks or the governments have to act to try to ward off a problem like a pandemic, uh, like the financial crisis, then suddenly a lower inflation rate doesn't look so good. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So uh, either low inflation in, in that kind of scenario, but also th there is a risk as well of you get sort of deflation, you, you get falling prices mm -hmm. and you get into something what economists will call like a deflationary spiral. And that's not great for, um, for growth. It's not great for jobs. And um, it just is not a great situation that you want to be in. So you do need that inflation, like I say, to just grease the wheels a bit of the economy. Okay, so let's talk about if we hired it a little bit. Let's go a little bit above 2%. What would be the uh, benefits, the pros and cons of doing that? Yeah, so um, a key argument of, um, you know, going for a higher rate of 3 or 4%, let's say, is that it would entail those higher nominal rates. So it's the flip side of low inflation, for instance. And now that's going to give you know central banks more ammunition to stimulate the economy during a downturn. So yeah, it does avoid kind of, let's say, reaching that effective lower bound that we talked about and launching QE. So we avoid a liquidity trap, as economists call it. And that's you know something that we've been in for many, many years. <laughs> and it's uh, finally 
we've escaped from that with the pandemic's help. So um, the the key argument really is to avoid that happening again. And, and perhaps now if we're seeing inflation move higher, at least more than it has been over recent decades, that could obviously be helpful in avoiding getting into that liquidity trap again. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm quite right. You say that it tells the story in itself as sad as the pandemic is. It's the only thing that's got us out of that low inflation we're not too sure about the growth side of things yet, but that low inflation scenario that we've been in for last decade or so. That's Yeah, that's absolutely right. So uh, there have been obviously a lot of um, negative consequences of the pandemic, but that's one of the silver linings in a way. You know, We all grumble about the sort of higher prices we're paying. Just before we came on this podcast, we're talking about the price of a, a pint of milk. Mm. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah, perhaps it's just the tonic that was needed after such a period of, of low inflation. Yeah, well, I won't be going back to a pint of milk again, that's for sure. Okay, let's, um, let's move this on to... Uh, Inflation targets and the relationship with wages, because obviously there's a lot of people struggling at the moment. Um, wages in not all the areas are keeping up with inflation. In fact, it can be dangerous sometimes because you can get that wage spiral inflation. So can we talk about what the effect of adjusting the inflation targets might have on wages? Yeah, so um, there should be an impact if you change the inflation targets, so long as consumers' expectations adjust. If, if you or I or anybody else now think that inflation is going to be higher, if you are being rational, you should obviously um, expect your wages to try and at least keep, try and keep pace in order to offset. Otherwise, you'll see a deterioration in living standards. So, for instance, um, if we're, if we're going to move to, let's say, three or four percent, um, we should be demanding higher, higher wages in order to compensate for that higher inflation. Now, the question is whether or not companies award them. That's that's one thing. And that depends on how tight the labor market is. It's it's pretty healthy right now, but there are obviously periods when it's not quite so healthy. But the key issue is whether we see a pickup in productivity, because that is the single biggest determinant of wage growth over the medium term. So you might set, let's say, a higher inflation target. People might now believe that and it becomes self-fulfilling. But if you can't get productivity growth to keep pace, then you don't necessarily... Um, get the, the pay growth keeping up with inflation. As a consequence, you get a, a squeeze on real wages. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Let's move us on to investments now. And what might the broader impacts be on investments if you had a higher inflation target? Hmm. So you know, it's, it's always you know difficult to predict given that there's so many moving parts and you know it depends on how other factors kind of play out. But broadly speaking, um, should expect that higher inflation would benefit equities. So uh, so long as companies are able to pass on the higher prices, uh, you should, ought to see uh, stronger returns at least in nominal terms that'll boost equity prices. Uh, in terms of fixed income, uh, investors ought to be demanding a higher yield. So you know, to compensate for higher inflation as well as interest rates. So bonds probably perform less well under this kind of scenario, uh, as should cash for the same reason. But one thing that does muddy the water a bit is that we might see a bit of an unwinding of central bank's balance sheets, you know, otherwise, you know, quantitative tightening. And that could be a bit of a headwind, actually, for equities and bonds, as well as kind of alternative assets. So if you're looking at cryptocurrencies, let's say, or precious metals or real estate. So, you know, higher inflation... In terms of the impact on asset classes, it's not that straightforward, but those are the kind of broad brush kind of assumptions. So I suppose what most of us are trying to figure out now, I mean, what is the outlook for inflation? So yeah, the economics team at Schroeder's has spent quite a lot of time 
uh, on this very question, really. And uh, on the back of that work, uh, we think there's going to be a number of trends that are going to shape the global economy over the uh, coming years. We're going to be sharing actually a series of articles over the coming weeks and months on that. So do watch out for that. But in aggregate, we can probably expect that those trends mean that inflationary pressures are going to be somewhat higher than they uh, were over the previous decade. So first, deglobalization. Uh, we think that the disruptions from the pandemic and kind of worsening relations between the West and China, uh, the net result of that is that companies are going to put greater emphasis on supply chain resilience. So whether that's reshoring manufacturing or perhaps um, establishing new factories in, in uh, other countries, overall that ought to push up on uh, prices because it's going to incur higher costs and there will be um, initial kind of one-offs that will be sunk costs that will go into that. Uh, the second trend is the energy transition. Pretty well established already. Um, there seems to be a, a great emphasis on climate goals amongst governments in recent years, partly due to kind of voter pressure. But we think as well that the war in Ukraine is, is going to put great emphasis on energy security. So again, that just adds into that push into uh, domestic clean energy projects. So that's the second reason why we think inflation might be higher. And the third is uh, fiscal generosity. So we think that governments provide a lot of support during the pandemic, you know, whether it was via paychecks in the US, uh, whether it was the furlough scheme in the UK and a lot of European economies. We think that now voter perceptions of what the limits of what governments can do now have been altered by the pandemic. So we think as a consequence, uh, we'll come to expect in the future governments to be a lot more fiscally generous. And uh, we think that the the dial in terms of the debate of austerity has shifted uh, more away from maybe austerity wasn't the right approach after the financial crisis. So it won't necessarily be repeated um, after subsequent downturns. So those are the sort of three factors, uh, deglobalization, the energy transition, and fiscal generosity. We think those three will push up on inflation. Yeah, I was going to say, those three sound more inflationary than deflationary to me. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are sort of a few known unknowns, or I should say unknown knowns, perhaps, where there are various factors that might also be disinflationary. So, uh, for instance, aging of populations. For a long time, economists have thought that that would be disinflationary, but perhaps there's a, a, a bit more of an assessment now that perhaps that could add to inflation. We just don't know. Um, there's also emerging technologies. So, of course, generative AI, we've all seen the new chatbot and played around with it. And I'm slightly concerned about that one, but go on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're sort of wondering if that's going to change labor markets. Uh, there tends to be a little bit more, um, it, feels, it feels like sometimes there's a bit more expectation that these are going to be bigger than they actually are. People are always looking in the wrong direction. But there are certainly things out there that could either be disinflationary or inflationary. So overall, we think we're moving into a higher inflation regime. But uh, truth be told, of course, there are just so many factors out there that could could shift it one way or another. Okay. And just a final question. So let's bring it back to the inflation targets. How likely is it that central banks might start to shift their inflation targets? At least in the near term, I, th I think it's fairly unlikely. And the reason is because um, in recent years, you know, a number of central banks, namely the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, have actually launched policy reviews. And they were launched in response to inflation undershooting their targets. And the sort of the implication of these policy reviews is that perhaps we'll let inflation run a bit hotter than it has been in the past in order to compensate. Now, Obviously, that's fallen by the wayside somewhat because inflation has really come out of nowhere and uh, has really risen quite sharply. 
And the reason why I think that central banks won't necessarily move to 3% all of a sudden or 4% is because it would give off the impression to consumers, to investors, that inflation is in the driving seat, not central banks. So it would be a case of uh, the tail wagging the dog, as it were. And so if, let's say, the Federal Reserve and all its peers were going to move to a higher inflation rate tomorrow or over the coming months, it would give off the impression that perhaps inflation is is driving. And as a consequence, you might see a de-anchoring in inflation expectations. And then you might get into, you touched on it earlier, kind of a wage price spiral if suddenly those expectations get de-anchored. So in the near term, central banks have to bring inflation back down to 2%. They have to prove that they can keep it at 2% for some sustained period of time. After that, Providing we get those higher inflationary pressures that we've talked about earlier, then we think there's a um, a possibility that there might be a move to higher inflation targets in the future. Yeah, and if there's one thing we've probably learned over the last few years, strong leadership and strong messages is pretty much what we need to get us through these uh, crises. Absolutely, yeah. George, brilliant. Thanks very much for coming back on. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Here's what else investors are talking about. Financial markets have been anticipating a US recession for some time. If it does happen, then it's likely investors will scramble to find protection from a potential downturn. So fund manager James Luke looks at how both gold and gold equities have performed during previous periods of US recession. And he considers the prospects for the sector and how investors are positioned currently in terms of allocations to gold. You can find James's article, What Could a US Recession Mean for Gold and Gold Equities, at schroders.com forward slash insights, where you can read, watch and listen to much, much more. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. 